You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. This is another episode of Quarantine and Chill, where I sit down with a disabled person that I love and care about, and we talk about our experiences in the pandemic. I love these episodes so much. People seem to be really enjoying them. We've already done... This is Quarantine and Chill, episode 17. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for listening to these little extra episodes that I have provided during this time, and I'm so thankful that I get to do this. I love episodes like this. I love bringing different content to this feed than just sex and disability, and thank you, thank you. But let's get comfy, cozy, crippled, and quarantined, and let's get this show started. Just before we get the show entirely started and I introduce my guest for today, I want to let you know that I'm looking for more guests to be on a Quarantine and Chill episode. So what I'd love for you to do if you're listening right now and you want to tell me your experiences being a disabled person, whether you're physically disabled, invisibly disabled, emotionally disabled, whether you don't identify as a disabled but you have chronic illnesses, whatever it is, I want to hear how the pandemic has played a role in your life. And you can do that by emailing disabilityafterdark at gmail.com using the subject line quarantine and chill. I'd love to have you on a quarantine and chill so we can talk about these things together because I think it's really important. So hit me up over email and I'd love to book you in and you'll be a part of quarantine and chill. Yay, cool. All right, let's get started. On episode 17 of Quarantine and Chill, I sit down with my longtime friend, Kate Wolofsky. She was on the show last year as part of her company, The Disabled Duo, where we talked with her and her husband, Aaron, about sex and disability. This time, we talked primarily about her experiences through the pandemic as somebody living with EDS, MS, and a whole other host of disabilities that she talks about, and we talk about what it's like for her trying to manage her energy levels, why we think there needs to be a televised wheelchair racing show called the Crippy 500. Um, We talk about some of the best and worst parts of quarantine for her, where she's had to tell friends of hers to please stay away, and the fear we have as disabled people having to ask our friends to please follow social distancing so we don't die, plus a whole lot more. It was a real fun chat with Kate. You hear me giggle a lot and laugh a lot because I really, really admire her and love her spirit and energy, and it was such a pleasure to have her on. So I'm going to stop rambling, but without further ado, here's the latest Quarantine and Chill with my friend Kate Wolofsky, right now on Disability After Dark. <laughs> 
Man, four months. Oh, hi, Kate. Oh, hi, Andrew. Hi. I used to sing a song. We were just talking about, I was just singing my, my song that I sing every day, which is like, it's been four months since I've gotten dick. Uh, but, you, you know, you know, quarantine life. Um, hello. Hi. So hi. Good to so good to see you, too. Um, you are a part of the Disabled Duo, and you were on the show with your adorable husband last year. And I wanted to reach out to you because you are one of my disabled people friends. And I was like, well, this is all, this is quarantine and chill. This is like the series of episodes where I talk to the disabled people about their pandemic experience. And you and I have been friends now for like a year and a bit. And so we've been chatting on and off the air. But I was like, let's record this and make it a proper episode. So Kate Wolofsky, welcome back to Disability After Dark on a quarantine and chill. Hi. Hi, hi! Been four months. Um, four months, months, months. Um, thank you so much, Andrew, for having me back. Um, yeah, it's um, you're right. We have been talking about this a lot off the air, so I'm really honored to come back. Um, loved being on the show the first time, and um, yeah, it's it's wonderful to take these conversations out of the behind the scenes talk because so many of us are having them anyway at home, and here yeah. we are. Yeah, and I, uh, I I just you know our last conversation was like two and a half hours of hilariousness, so I'm hoping that this one is equally hilarious. And equally, uh, and equally long, and just really fun. Uh, um, yes, I accept. I, I accept whatever you're, it is that you're offering. Oh, what do you want me to offer? Wow. Uh, whatever you want. Okay, this is turning into a much more <laughs> sexual coordinated chill than I was ready for, but that's fine. Uh, so, Kate Wolofsky, you were part of the Disabled Duo, which is a. Which would you say you're a startup? What? What do you, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. All right. Well, um, I am a counselor. I'm a sex therapist, and I am a clinical researcher um, now at the Kinsey Institute um, in at Indiana University in Bloomington. Um, and uh, basically, what I do is I do counseling. Um, I do training for professionals um, about how to talk to disabled people, how to be with disabled people, and kind of bridge bridge the gaps that we have um, in the professional world um, and at the personal level um, in our understanding of each other and how to kind of kind of um, get get down to basics and start having conversations like this and also um i am a big advocate um for uh, like big 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 i know every time i say the word big and you start smiling <laughs> so big it's big Interspecturing big floppy dick floppy <laughs> cock Sorry. i just it's been four months four months <laughs> so yeah so i'm a big advocate um for um for the entire queer community. Um, I am a gender specialist as a sex therapist. And basically, um, I use my voice, my words, um, everything I can towards um, really um, more than just increasing awareness, more than just inclusion, um, but just um, um, getting the margins back into the texts um, and yep. um, what we know as our lived history right now. Yep, yep. And and so can you 
kind of illuminate for us. I, I don't remember all your disabilities because there's quite a plethora of what I remember. Um, what are your level of disabilities and how do they impact your day to day? Oh, awesome. So um, it's kind of exciting. I acquired another disability. Well, I didn't acquire. I was I, more disabilities. Um, it's a <laughs> funny thing once you have a bunch of them and then someone finally names another one, how just the world starts to make more sense. But um, so I have, um, mul- I have multiple sclerosis, uh, secondary progressive, um, and which is, it's just a everyday roller coaster surprise party. Um, <laughs> Andrew and I are, um, we are symptom buddies in, in sim- oh, spasticity symptom sisters. With spasticity symptom sisters? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, so with that, I mean, I've um, I've been a wheelchair user, I've been a uh, rollator, walker, cane. Um, delighted to have um, the use of a scooter at the moment. Um, thank goodness. And um, let's see, I have um, EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I have primary immune deficiency, which is an exciting thing to have right now. Um, and um, and a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of other exciting little symptoms along the way. Sounds that uh, sounds like a grab bag of gimpiness right there. Look what that is. Oh, gimpy grab bag. I gimpy like gimpy grab bag. There it is. Yep, yep. Somebody make that. I want that to be merch. I want that to be disability after dark merch. Somebody figure that out. <laughs> I, will, I I support that. Um, so you have all those things, all that syndrome, um, all that stuff. How has that affected you, say, pre-COVID? So pre-COVID, um, goodness, I mean, it's it's almost like how has it not affected me? Um, I even though sort of my disabilities were there as a child, but were less noticeable, I would probably end up crashing in private more. So it's kind of, it was sort of like a slow creep up until about like, maybe like 10, 15 years ago. And then, um, so, but pre-COVID, even um, end of last year, um, you know, manageable-ish. I mean, I like I had a solid period of time during the day. I definitely had more energy. Um, and um, my symptoms were less obvious and less impactful because I had support um, from um, an assistant and um, we had some people doing some care work um, in the house, just like basic things that um, are just monumental tasks for a disabled person that aren't there now. So that just brings some of the things that you know, even just like, wow, I don't, my arms don't work to take out the trash <laughs> or even lift the trash. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. And how have all of these disabilities impacted you? Like, I don't want to say post COVID, like, but like in the middle of COVID, how, how, like, I know you and I talk a lot about off the air, about your, your, your energy levels and your tiredness level. And like, how has COVID, if at all, impacted any of this stuff? Um, that's a really great question. So I think there's like a couple different levels there. On the one hand, there's the um, the level of you know having 
having multiple disabilities that affect my immune system, including um, with primary immune deficiency, I um, was, I, I need an IV like every three weeks in order to just not get the common stuff that most people don't catch from others. Um, and now even just going out to a clinic is a terrifying experience because, um, because of all that. And there was also a shortage of my medication leading up oh, to that. Right. So it's like, so there, so there was, there was a little bit of a background of, oh my gosh, I don't have the medication for this. Um, but, um, but also, so without that, my energy level um, went down a bit. My husband and I um, had to, had to move. We're both disabled. So that was fascinating. If anybody's listening and you remember her hot husband, Aaron, is not joining us today, but my heart breaks. Uh, I, I feel like our our love died. But, he's, uh, he's somewhere fingering a hole in his disability after dark T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, and you're like, I don't know what that means. Go back and listen to our first episode together. It was really funny. But uh, but yeah, I mean, all of this stuff. I just think that it can be. It's really overwhelming. And like, how are you? First of all, how are you managing your like? One of the things I didn't write down here in my like pre-questionnaire thing that I sent to you, how are you managing with all of these thoughts of, you know, being a disabled person? Like how does during, during COVID, how does all that feel for you? You know, it's, um, it's fascinating. Um, it, it's this, this feels to be actually a lot like the everyday. Um, and it feels, it feels so much like the everyday, in fact, and there's so much of it that doesn't feel different until, um, until it comes to actually getting anything more done than just what we're doing right now, talking, working in front of the computer. I mean, I, so like as a mental health practitioner, I was already seeing people online anyway. Um, A lot doesn't change, but then what does change is I also have some narcolepsy, um, which affects me in the morning and in the evening. Um, So luckily I can, I can plan my day around it, but, my usable work time and um, time to be like alive and you know and getting down is uh, is it shrinks and not <laughs> I love how these these block of episodes were meant to be like COVID and we've slowly like the the, the sexuality part slowly creeping back in. I just love how it's there. So I love it. I love it so much. Um, my next question, which you kind of already answered, but if you want to elaborate, my next question was going to be like, you know, this is something we're seeing in our media right now where everybody who's non-disabled is like, oh my God, this is the new normal and quarantine is kind of the new normal and like this is what we're supposed to be contending with. A lot of disabled people, like you just said, have said, you know, this does feel not very much different than me every day. Um, would you say that, you know, there, do you have a comfort level in kind of knowing that there's this is just an extension of what you've already been doing is there like a, a less of a because i see a lot of non-disabled people freaking out and like oh my god the gym's not open and oh my god i can't go here and oh my god i can't do all these things and so for you is it less about that and more about like, oh we're just going to continue on um yeah it um it, yes the 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 latter with with something probably like a few nuances added in um i think that um you know definitely i i see um i, I see 
lot of people just really having a very hard time living things that, you know, would be our daily lives um, as disabled people and, uh, you know, with physical disabilities and physical limitations. And um, it's, you know, a lot of the things that I think can be taken for granted um, are just, you know, have become our idea of just an everyday and um, now it's it is it's kind of fascinating to watch other people freaking out at being in a position that is um, you know a, a part of what you live every day right and I think it's really interesting to watch non-disabled people have such a reaction whereas when we as disabled people were having the same reactions when we like, we got upset about it <laughs> Let me try again. We got upset about it before. <laughs> so much disability just happened to me. I just, I, okay, let's try again. <laughs> I coughed and laughed at the same time and I couldn't do it. Let's try that one more time. I'm not cutting it out because it was too precious. <laughs> but So what I'm saying was we've heard so many non-disabled people freaking out. Whereas if we, if we freaked out, every non-disabled person would be like, just calm down. Just relax. It's okay, no big deal. But the minute we do it, it's like a problem. How, so like, how, like, are you, because part of me is is kind of giggling watching all these Karens and Chads be like, I can't go to my hair, hair salon in my gym. And I'm just like, well, I couldn't do that before, you ridiculous person. Like, so how are you, what are, what are you seeing? What do you see that when you see that, that kind of stuff? Like, what is your reaction as a disabled person? Um, you know, like, I, I think there's like, sometimes there's the automatic reaction and like, which is like, wow, you know, <laughs> really. And, and then um, I, I have to say that there's like, a little bit that's been brought on by, you know, for, for me, the pain and privilege of getting a master's degree in counseling, where I'm constantly being asked to look at myself and look at everyone else. And, um, and going through that experience, I realized that if other people who are not disabled are having such a hard time, you know, with an experience that is similar to what we're going through, we've got a huge, huge gap in, um, you know, I think I look at more, I'm thinking more like cultural things here, right? Where we're like, just, um, there's been a discomfort in seeing um, and imagining what it is to live your life as a disabled person, which is, is, I mean, it's been getting in the way in many different ways, but you know, how do we, how do we move forward through that together? Well, well, I think one of the ways we move forward is we start telling people, stop imagining it because this is not, this is not an imagination. This will be for some of you. And for many of you, this will be your life in 20, 30, 50 years. So you better start getting used to it. Like, not in a, like, it's coming for you, but actually it is coming, like, it is coming for you. So, you, like, don't be afraid of it. Embrace what it is and, like, like, start recognizing your own ableism, recognize your privilege, recognize that it sucks some days. And so the next time you see a disabled person having a moment where they're really upset about something that happened or something they couldn't reach or something that fell on the ground or something that, that you would take for granted, mm. stop and think, Remember that time I was in quarantine for four months and I couldn't suck all the dicks? Yeah, that's how Andrew feels every day when he can't access his dick. So, I mean, you know, I think it, it, this will hopefully illuminate just more empathy, I hope. I really hope that it makes people 
consider things differently. But I agree with you. It makes me look at myself and go, even as a severely complexly disabled person who uses a wheelchair with multiple disabilities, like at any given time, I think, what privilege do I have right now that someone else doesn't? What privilege do I have that a, that a, that a black person with disabilities right now maybe doesn't have during the pandemic? Mm. What privilege do I have to use my voice and to use my message to get things out there that somebody else who, who maybe can't type as articulately or say the things as articulately as I do can, you know, doesn't have access to. So I try to remember, like in this moment, even though I'm, even though I'm one of the most vulnerable, where is my privilege? I, yeah, and that's one of the things that I love about you as a human and respect about you as the professional, awesome queer cripple that you are. Um, damn right. And, <laughs> damn right. Um, is that you are always such a model for engaging in those conversations. And I think that, um, you know, there's privilege will always be there because people are different and there's different ways that people have a privilege and have over time. And, you know, from one perspective, looking at another, um, that can always be there right now. Um, you know, as we're speaking, there's, um, it's, there's, it is absolutely heartbreaking to see um, um, to see what's going on in the U.S. when it comes to um, the loss of the loss of lives of Black people at the hands yep. of police. At the same time, you know, I've also grown up seeing it for a long time, and I've been you know I've I've, I've been a, an active voice in that area, and always will be, um, and. I'm also glad that it's coming out into the light and I'm glad that we're starting to have, you know, more awareness and more openness to empathic conversations. It's, you know, the, the, the stuff that's happening to black people right now is I think what's even scarier than this is a tangent that I did not expect to go on, but here we are. Um, What I think is even scarier than, than the police brutality and the police, murders what i think what's scarier is the blatant racism that we all wanted to pretend wasn't really there but the more and more you start looking on people's social media profiles the more and more you start talking about it the more and more you start seeing people that you thought were really even keel and wouldn't say that have just said something atrocious or just you know they believe something that you can't even believe how did that come out of your mouth where did that come from and i stand with all the movements and I think they're all you know I think it's vitally important but I I I just wish that black people wouldn't wouldn't be subjected to this I I don't don't know how I would react if I were a black person I'm speaking Kate and I are speaking from very privileged Mm -hmm. positions of white people you know seeing all this Mm -hmm. I mean I I want to say you know quite directly on the show I stand with anyone who's a black Person, particularly Black disabled people who are going through this pandemic and this time of change, I want to use my voice to make change. And so if you're listening and you want to come on the show and, and rant and rave and be upset and be angry and have trauma and you want to do all, the, all those things and you need a space to do that as a disabled person, as a disabled person who's Black, I want to offer, and I'm just putting this out there right now because it came to me right now, I want to offer the podcast platform to you for a couple shows and I'll 
I'll bow out and I'll let you use my platform to to do that because I can't I can't speak to it properly. I have no place to do that, but I I see what's happening and it breaks my heart. That's it. I um I absolutely applaud you for that. Um and of course I'm applauding you from that from that privileged position as a white person. Um but and I really, really hope that somebody, um at least one person takes you up on that offer because it'll be that would be amazing. Um, you know, we do need um we one of the things that comes along with being white is that there can be an ease of access. And as disabled people, that's something that we're, um, you know, that, that we encounter difficulties with in other areas. And I, 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 as you were talking, I was also thinking about history and the, um, the important connections between, you know, all the movements, but also like, you know, in the U.S., at least the disability rights movement wouldn't exist without the, the Black Panthers. That, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> camp. I watch you. It was good. I cried. It, there were tears. And th- like, thank God, thank God for them. Thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to offer anyone who is a black person right now with disabilities maybe doesn't have a platform and doesn't want to start a whole podcast. I have a podcast sitting right here and my whole platform has been to shine a light on stuff. So why Mm -hmm. the fuck wouldn't I shine a light on, on the racism within our community? If you want to come and talk about that, if you want to host a series of episodes, seriously, the the platform is there and I'm happy to, to get to, you know, to offer it to you and to bow out. I don't need to be involved. You can record the things and I'll put it up as is because that that is the voices that need to be heard. My voice is nice, and I'm really glad I have the platform. But why the fuck wouldn't I use it for someone else to access it? So that's all I'm gonna say, and we'll we'll go back to our regularly scheduled interviews shit right now. But I want to just put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what question did we do? We were we in the middle of? Uh, you were asking a little bit about before and after and then what it's like listening to other people um, who are not disabled talking about life during the pandemic. Um, and oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Um, I, I will say one thing that has been interesting is being a therapist during this time um, where I work with clients who have disabilities, um, clients who do not have disabilities. Um, I work with healthcare workers, other therapists, um, scientists. And, um, you know, I, and I see, I see so many different perspectives um, every day, but I also like, I mean, I really want to stress that like, there is an, there's, wherever there is a pain, there's an opportunity for something. And um, yeah, I just, I, I really um, hope to, hope to shed, so, shed some light on the spaces in between. That's awesome. I, I already discovered the title of, if you ever write it, do a podcast, it better be called The Spaces in Between because <laughs> that's, that's a great fucking podcast name. Um, so as part of Quarantine and Chill, we've all been, social distancing and we've all been asked to be like two meters away or five meters away or like islands away from each other or now in in Canada we have I don't know if you have that there yet but we have bubbles in Canada so you have like a bubble and like a like you're allowed to have 10 people in your bubble which is very weird I don't understand it but that's kind of what Ontario's done you're allowed to have 10 people from different households in your bubble 
Okay. Okay. Wait a second, because I, I need to just like, I need to picture this because on the one hand, I'm thinking about pride and blowing bubbles. And on the other hand, I'm thinking about bubble boy. And on the other hand, because I actually having similar conditions too, um, um, I kind of always thought it'd be amazing to have an air conditioned bubble. Um, I mean, right. I mean, wouldn't it? It'd be great. Be great. So, so this bubble is this the idea about like how you calculate the distance around you and other people? No, it's like the dist. It's like ten people from different households that you agree to be in a bubble with you. So you're like, hey, have you have you been social distancing? Great. Have you been great? So let's all be in a bubble together, and then you don't see anybody outside of those ten, and you can gather hmm. as those ten. Um, <laughs> But so it's with part that was just me. That was me trying to like ramp up to my question. But so so what? It, as somebody who's been social distancing for way long before the pandemic, what has been your favorite part of social distancing? Um. Oh my gosh. Okay. So as a disabled person, <laughs> one of my favorite parts is that I don't have to go out um, because it's exhausting to do that sometimes. And oh, this is amazing. Um, I don't have to worry about people coming in the house and getting me super sick. Oh, nice. So you. So like, there is there is a comfort level of like, I don't have to do anything. I can just be. I can be as sick as I need to be and nobody, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I can be as sick as I um, It's just actually, sometimes it's just about the energy to go out. Like, I mean, if I were to go just to my office, which isn't very far away, I don't drive that involves my, um, and I don't drive because it's, it'd be dangerous for everybody else if I drove. <laughs> um, Megalepsy, EDS, MS, like so many things. Like, yeah, vision, uh, death perception, all kinds of things. So, um, so my husband does. So that means he has to be feeling okay. I get to my office, and but the amount of preparation time for me to like, you know, get dressed, get out of the house, and um, be prepared—that's like there's hours of preparation for that that go into right. it. So um, not having to do that is awesome. And then um, usually every, every year, you know, there'll be someone who comes by. Um, you know, it could even be a family member and, or a very, very close friend. And, um, you know, you find out about halfway through or for me, even like five minutes in that they've, oh, they were, they were sick, you know, but they've got over it already. It's gone. And then the next day <laughs> I'm sick for a month and a half. So it's kind of awesome to not be worried about that. Um, that, that is, is a nice thing to not worry about. So is there like, aside from not worrying about getting sick, is there any like fun parts of social distancing that you like? Um, yeah, lots. Um, so let's see. Um, I, um, let's see. I like, um, wearing my PJs during the day. I like that. I've known you for a year and a half and I feel like you, I feel like you've done that anyway. So I've known you. I don't feel like that's a new thing. Um, okay. Well, it's, let's just say it's more obvious these days. Um, I love, um, I, I actually, I'm really loving being around, um, like I'm, even though my husband and I do different things during the day, I'm kind of loving being around his space during the day. Um, 
and actually we're living with my mother right now, which is something I haven't done <laughs> in a very long time. Um, and, and that's also kind of fun. Um, oh, and here's another thing I, I absolutely love. And this is, maybe it's not, it wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. Um, but um, one of the reasons we ended up having to move had to do with the fact that without any assistance, we had a house that had some stairs and that was like, I mean, it was like, it was dangerous. <laughs> it was so dangerous. We had so many injuries. Like we both sprained our feet. We did like hurt so many things. Um, oh no. <laughs> but now um, we don't have to use stairs. So now I have my scooter back in the house and it's awesome. I, I can just picture you with the scooter in the house. Um, it's, oh, actually, hang on a second. It's slightly dangerous. Although um, I will say that we all use scooters in the house. So um, I, I keep saying that um, one of the most awesome things about quarantine is that we should like have like bumper scooters someday. If I didn't have spasticity, it would be amazing. I mean, I'm there for that. I'm, that's, uh, somebody needs to do that. Yes, please. It's like, can there be a fucking wheelchair or mobility device 500? Like, why don't we have that yet? Okay, so that would be awesome. I would like, you know, I've heard you. Why aren't there wheelchair racing competitions that are televised like the fuck, like NASCAR was? NASCAR NASCAR was inherently racist and had many, many problems. So we could abolish that shit and have, you know, wheelchair fucking go arounds. I would pay for that. Um, I would too. And I am all for one of the things I've heard you say before, and I love it so much, um, is like, we need some like, we need some really sexier accessibility stuff. I don't need necessarily, okay, I'm like, I know where your mind's going. I know you well enough to know you're like, <laughs> yes, the sex. But, but even like, you know, can we have some just slightly more accessible stuff? Because almost every device that I have of any kind has some sort of modification to it that my husband had to do. So um, with more disabled people out there, more creative people out there, um, you make it, we will consume it. I just think that having a, a, a trippy 500 would be like i would just i mean come on that would be so fun that would be like and they'd have to stop for like spastic oh this race number five had a thousand we're gonna have to stop for five minutes to reset while they figure out how to breathe their muscles are tensed up and we're just gonna hold on there like how hilarious would that be I think it would be absolutely amazing. And it would be like, I, I, yeah, I, I love it on so many levels. It would also be like, it'd be like educational about people's conditions. It'd be like, oh, clean up on our floor. Someone has an, some, someone, someone just said, <laughs> they had some urinary leakage. Like, someone's uh, like, like broke, uh, we're going to get right on that right now. Yep, someone's colostomy bag did not worry, did not go through. Like, it would just be really, really hilarious. Like, new, t- new tube and lane four, new tube and lane four. <laughs> Attending care in aisle six. Attending care in lane six. <laughs> like, I just think that would be hilarious. And I think, like, imagine the next time we have quarantine because it's gonna happen. Like, imagine the next time that happens if we had a creepy five hundred. Like, I would. That would just be so fun to watch. That would be awesome. Actually, yeah, I mean, even now, like, if people were to take some videos, like, people took like some short little videos, and we could like put them all together. You know, Please do it. Somebody, somebody out there, somebody in the warmer in the like, what's well, warm everywhere right now? But somebody who's able to go outside and doesn't feel scared to do so. Please do that. Maybe I'll do it too, and I'll set, I'll set it up. But yeah, Krilly five hundred. Um, and then so the other part of my question was, what is the worst part of social distancing for you? Um, let's see. The worst part. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because like a lot, most of the time I like, I really, I, my brain just doesn't really think of like good, bad or best or worst. And, and so even, but I will say some of the difficult things for me have been, um, some of the personal relationships that I have, so like people who have been close to me, um, who I've had to ask to stay away from me for the safety of my life. And that has been, that, that has been extremely difficult to do while having, um, you know, like already being extra weak and having to do so much more than like things that I really shouldn't probably like, not probably that are totally unsafe for me to be doing just for us to kind of, you know, all, all get, get through it together. Um, but having to, having to let go of some relationships because, um, you know, someone didn't believe me. Um, that's been, that's been difficult, um, for me personally. However, um, that said, um, I also see that, um, you know, how could they, how could they understand if they're not me? And if there is that level of misunderstanding, I, you know, I, I also don't know, there could be something else that's going on internally for that person. And, and it might be difficult for them to comprehend their, you know, becoming disabled or a fear of disability can be, can be powerful. Yeah. And I think, I think, it's hard for a lot of disabled people right now to realize that humans are going to human and whether they're disabled or not, they're going to, and <laughs> part of, part of them being human might mean that they decide that they don't want to follow social distance rules. They don't want to listen to you when you, you say like, don't come near me because I might get sick. Like they don't want to believe it because they don't want to believe that their friend could, could have a more, could die. And so, part of what we do I think a lot of us have done and I've seen people do it not even I've done it I've been careless with some stuff during this pandemic and I'm like oh no I'll be okay because it'll be fine it'll be all right you it does not you don't want the reality to cross your mind because Mm -hmm. it's just too scary so if I just do the thing no one's gonna die right now and that's fine but then what you forget is that like in, in two to three weeks if COVID takes hold of this person they could die sometimes less than that so like it's it's hard. And, I, I, and you and I have spoken personally about the first, like the people that you had to remove yourself from and that watching you have to go through that and say goodbye to friendships that you thought were lifelong and going to continue for a long time. It's hard. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of disabled people are feeling that of like, I've had to let you go. I've had disabled people reach out to me in my DMs and be like, I have a friend who's doing X and it's really fucking pissed me off. And I've told them and told them and they don't listen and they want to do this. And I feel, and it's, hearing that pain from the disabled community is really frustrating because what they're trying to say, well, is still remaining cool and calm and collected because how dare we be upset? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, while trying to be cool and calm and collected, they're saying, I'm afraid I'm going to fucking die. And this thing you're doing could kill me. And could you please not do that? And like, mm-hmm. how much clearer do we have to be mm-hmm. when it comes to our, like to our lives? And it's, I think also being in bodies that could easily deteriorate and could easily die and could easily be finished quicker than the average body, that's hard enough to deal with already, let alone when there's a global fucking pandemic bearing down on you. So um, 
So well said, Andrew. Um, and that's, you know, and, and, you know, just to comment on those, you know, whether it's my friendships or anyone else's friendships, I mean, there's, um, you know, I, I, I have had, I have had to say, <laughs> I have had to say, I, I can't do this at the moment. That isn't to say that, you know, those people couldn't walk right back into my life and, you know, and I, and I would welcome them back into the conversation, but it does mean I need to stay safe. Yeah. And I think it also means the conversation has to change. If yeah. somebody is going to be so flippant with your life, especially I think what's most angering is that we're afraid and we've been telling you for months we're afraid. And we've been telling you for months and months. We've been putting it on our social media. It's been all over people's things. It's been a huge point of conversation within these communities. We've been begging and pleading and like asking and nobody cares. So it's like, how, if you don't listen to me when I'm afraid, why should I let you walk back into my life? Why should I? You've proven to me you don't really care what happened. What I, what happens to me when I feel upset? You don't care what happens to me when I, I'm mortally afraid. You don't care. So mm. am I supposed to forget that that happened? Mm. <laughs> like, I, it's hard for a lot of disabled people because we don't forget. We remember when you did an ableist thing to us and you, we remember when you didn't think and that hurts. Yeah. Um, and again, um, I'm so... I'm so, so, so glad that you talk about, <laughs> uh, that you talk about all of this because, you know, like this show and these kinds of conversations about the, um, the level and the depth of the emotion are so important. Um, in particular, when you're talking just now, um, I, I was thinking about um, another thing that has been, that has been difficult, which I know it has for you and for so many other disabled people who, like you said, like, you know, already there's, there's a, uh, there's a life risk there. And yeah. then you're told that if you do get sick, there might not be care for you because yeah. you might not make it. And the eugenics, uh, because that's just, that's what we're talking about. I mean, yeah. there's that, um, that has been something. And as I care for, you know, I consider, you know, my role as a, you know, I'm, I, my role as a disabled person means that I'm also an ad, an advocate for other disabled people. My role as a as a counselor means that I am like you know a um, a loving witness, an advocate, um, a, a reparenting, a whatever it is, um, you know for for this person. And it's really you know, gosh, I would love to tell them that that wasn't part of the equation. Um, it's it's so scary that it is like you and I, one of the, one of the things I love about this pandemic time is with, with our relationship specifically is we'll call each other at one in the morning and be like, yeah, I'm having a, I am having feelings about this. I need to talk to you. Like you, we'll yeah. phone each other or text each other at one in the morning. And just, I think disabled people need those people right now. We need to, to come together, but just to go back to your, to your research question, like I am so curious to see, what researchers will be saying in 20 years regarding yeah. the disabled body with respect to this pandemic? Will we even, will we be, will we be just a blip in a textbook or will there be like concrete, um, you know, stories about what we went through trying to survive. And it's, I really truly hope anybody working on disability history right now who's listening or who, you know, take, I would love to hear stories of, disabled people from the 1918 pandemic 
and compare them to now. How, like, how are things the same? How are the things vastly different? Because like, I am terrified that in 20 years when all of this is just a blip on the radar, our fear as disabled humans living through this will be just, oh, it didn't matter. They were fine. Everything was all right. We got it. We got a vaccine. Everything was okay. No, in those moments, we're fucking terrified and nobody seems to really care unless it affects Becky with the good hair who like, unless it affects her or Chad, Mm. nobody seems to really give a fuck that we were, we've been asking for help. And so it just angers me to my core that this thing we talk about, we'll, we'll be talking about this for the rest of our lives probably. But, yeah. but the average person will forget that it was even a thing and will go back to being to being obliviously ableist after this. Mm. Yeah, um, that is, that's definitely a, um, a valid concern. I mean, you're right. We do, we do call each other at one in the morning and talk about this. And um, that's exactly why I, gosh, I never imagined that I'd get involved in research, but that's exactly why I got involved in research um, because I was looking around and I was, you know, and, and by the way, if you're, if you're a researcher, if you're a disabled person who doesn't like the way they're represented in the in research, like, please reach out to me, please, like, please yes. let, because, and, 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 and for that matter, any type of experience, any type of marginalized experience that you don't see yourself in, um, whether it's sex ed, whether it's research, whether it's, you know, the way that, um, you know, the way that doctors or mental health practitioners respond to you, or you are a doctor, mental health practitioner, you don't know how to, how to approach us. Um, please, please, please reach out because, um, Actually, for the last year, um, I've been working on this study. Um, um, thank goodness, with the um, I, it was it was quite interesting how it started. I work with um, um, Dr. Stephen Porges at the Kinsey Institute at a lab called the Trauma Stress Research Consortium. So already we're looking at trauma. Sounds so sexy. No, I know. Like so you're like trauma stress. Sign me up. Um, I know. I know. I know. So it's like sit down, Andrew. Sit down. <laughs> I have a wheelchair. It's fine. <laughs> um, anyway, um, <laughs> privileged jokes um, <laughs> for those of us. And Andrew knows how long it would take me to get up right now. Uh, I can't. It's, it's it's dangerous for him to watch. You're a cocoon in your bed. You're a crippled cocoon in your bed, and you can't like. Yeah. Although, again, if you ever do have a podcast, this is like the perfect position for you to take press shots of you being like, "Here's me, super disabled in my bed, trying to do." Any anyway, you were saying sorry. Yes, yes, I, 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 I was saying. You, I know you were distracted by the unicorn onesie that is beside me. I know. Uh, <laughs> so no, what I was saying is, um, so it, it it this actually started as just a conversation um, and a paper that I wrote um, after going through uh, my master's program, counselor education, and seeing that just in the general um, education, and that even in the textbooks or the lectures, that I just I didn't see. Um, disabled history. I didn't see, like I, I saw, um, rep, and I, anytime that a disabled experience was talked about, it wasn't represented in a way that um, it definitely didn't come from a disabled person. Yeah. And that's part of the thing is I realized, wow, um, we, the thing is for this to, ha- for this to really um, stick out in history, 
we as disabled people need to be that history and we need to be offered we need to be offered the platform and an accessible ramp to the platform please <laughs> or like <laughs> fuck the platform why just make everything level let's start there <laughs> right that's exactly right exactly so Don't put me on a pedestal put me like cute put, put me in the history books alongside the able-bodied people but put me prominently like, at the same time i want books all about disability history but i also think putting us beside the non-disabled people from those periods like a weird question that i have when you're talking that i might as well ask if we were to look at disability history and where we were to consider ourselves in a hundred years how do you think we would be you and i as disabled people would be described um wow that is like that is that's such an awesome question and like you're like now i'm like conjuring up images of like star trek and things um but um <laughs> i think i have to say that those chairs on the bridge really look very comfortable um you know, they kind of look like marriott chairs from 1987 i don't know if like that i like and what if you want to fuck in those chairs? They're not super. Okay, well that's that's true. They're definitely not accessible. But imagine how much noise the, where they would just with all the the like cover and and anyone who does not know what we're talking about, go and look at Star Trek for five seconds. You'll know what we mean. <laughs> I think I think you know my answer to that question and what I I guess the way I hope that people would would think of us if they were to hear this um, in a hundred years would be like this was. You know, we're, we are really in the first generation of disabled people or like maybe like like the first because we're sort of in that sort of middle generation between, um, you know, the, the people who's um, who have come before us, who've who've been um, such open activists. But this, you know, you and I would not have been able to go to college or to go to get degrees or anything like that if we had been born. I mean, if I'd been born in my mother's generation, it'd be a question if I'd even be allowed to go to school um, because, you know, we would have been um, not just special ed, we would have been like retards, but we're, you know, you know I'm Big serious. giant asterisks on that word. Big asterisks. And uh, because that's what we were just generally grouped as if we just didn't, didn't appear normal. Um, and that's just historically so. And so I think that um, the important um I guess what, what I would think of is, I, and I would hope, is that it's part of like a human realism movement of like just including disability as a part of a human experience. And that's, yeah, that's... that's I kind of hope that we, I would be described as someone, a four-wheeled wonder, who, that's, as soon as I posed that question to myself, I was like, oh, four-wheeled wonder, that's what I, that's what I would call myself, four-wheeled wonder. Um, and I would be, I would hope that I, instead of being a disability rights activist, because so many of us get lumped into that category, which is fine. And I support all that, but I, and so many people have called me that I want to be called, you know, a disability celebrationist. Is it a thing? Can that be a thing? Can I make it a thing? Um, yeah, you can. Oh, you, oh, how, um, like crippled. I'm, I'm trying to play with your alliteration. Crippled celebration. It's because. Celebration is a soft C, so I don't know if it works so well. I, we, we're going to have to work on it, but I, but I really like, I like where you're going with this, because I mean, much like, you know, the queer community went, went with pride, which like, I have to say, you know, like, I, I think we're talking about the pride of being disabled, too. Yeah. Pride of being a queer cripple. PWD um, could stand for proud, well-disabled. 
Oh, like, just completely changed my entire entire feeling towards <laughs> like PWD Pride on the table, and also we're recording this during Pride Month, so like whoa. Love it. I, I love it so much because whenever I see that and whenever I see an acronym related to, at least for me, related to my experience, I want to go like I'm not an acronym. And, you know, we, acronyms are for theories. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's how I feel about social, the social model and the, and the individual model. They're all, they're all very nice theoretically. They're not so much translatable into the real world, I think. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. So like in the process of like, when I started working on this research project, um, it was initially like very much about um, disability, disability, trauma, and sexuality. That's what it was about. And what that, what that is like, what that lived experience is like. And then, you know, as we started working and as the pandemic, we were like just getting ready to launch and then realizing also like, you know, there's a, there's so many disabled people who, you know, who would and should be included and might not want, might not feel like their voices are important because maybe they don't feel like their disabilities are as important or, or would people be. Have, people have said that to me on this, on these very episodes, they've said my disability doesn't feel worthy enough to be here. Why am I here? And I keep being like, well, you're here because I think your disability or chronic illness is worthy about talking about. So. Yeah. And I just feel like, if you identify, if you self-identify as disabled, no matter what that looks like or what that feels like for you, you anywhere that says disability is a thing, you should be given a space. Absolutely. Um, and one. And the, like, I'm going to cut you off because I, I want to just finish. I want to just finish the thought because, like, because, and it came to me just now. But like, because you've you've had enough courage and enough balls to say the word, I think I'm disabled. And I want to stick with that. And we, we always talk about courageousness within the disability community. We always like, are very wary of it because non-disabled people weaponize it against us all the time. But what I am saying is if you have the balls to make, that, to make the word disability something historically that has been weaponized against us to, into, into something you want to celebrate, you fucking deserve a space. So... I bow to you, person that decided that they were disabled enough to be disabled. Good for you. And I join you in that. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I'd bound out to that. I'd get on my knees for that and just, oh, I, I, okay, wait. Oh, wow. <laughs> chicken the question is, of course, if you got on your knees for that, could you get back up? Probably not. Um, not with that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. That's why my next service dog is a mobility service dog. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. She will be there when you want to get down to your knees for somebody, but can't get back up. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it, I, honestly, like a whole new meaning to that old, um, I've fallen and I can't get up commercial that we grew up. <laughs> Because <laughs> they should make a sexy version of that. Oh, somebody, somebody please do that. Somebody please <laughs> version of like getting up while disabled because I gotta say I've had that experience with with Aaron with my husband of like yeah um it's sometimes this podcast turns into like five tangents and that's what's happening here and I'm more than okay with it it's fine I think this happened last time we recorded too didn't it with the last time we recorded absolutely absolutely it did but you know what the good thing is is that we always we always bring it back somewhere (laughs) 
It always, we always bring it home. <laughs> if, you, if you're listening and wondering where the fuck we are, don't worry. So are we. We'll get back to it very soon. Um, um, out, this is exactly about quarantine right now. Yeah, this is, I'm, the, in the, I'm in the, where the fuck am I quarantined by right now? This, this is totally about um, the, the sexy, the disabled sexiness and the quarantine. Because um, with the lack of energy, um, showering becomes more difficult. Um, and like, I just, like, I, it, I feel like I look gross. Um, I'm moving around, like, sometimes, like, one side of my body's not moving so well, or I've, like, can get half my body into the bed and not the other half, or, like, I couldn't, I could make food, but I couldn't clean up the things I spilled while making it. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you to, like, follow me around with a camera during the day and not know that I was disabled and think, like, do you want this partner? Do you really, really want this as your partner now for quarantine? <laughs> and you didn't know. I think a lot of people would say, holy fuck, no. <laughs> but, but, um, but I will say, um, in celebration of my wonderful husband who knows how very disabled I am, um, he will, you know, roll along after me and um, and um, and laugh with me um, and still find me attractive when I smell. Amazing. And I, I, I love your husband to a point of maybe it's a problem for us, but I, I, I like... I can, I can share and he, he, is, he is absolutely complicit in knowing of this. Like I, he sense to this conversation by the way it hurts my he's so he's so beautiful it hurts my brain i know i know it It makes my balls very blue um (laughs) what is my line of questioning i don't know uh so we talked so 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 back on the professional track uh so (laughs) okay so this is a good question i think this is important for people to listen to um as a disabled person with your multiple disabilities and all the things you contend with on a day-to-day, what is the most scary, not a funny question, Andrew, what is the most scary thing about <laughs> sometimes when you're with your friends on a podcast, you just laugh for an hour. That's what happens. That's what this is. Okay, let me start again. Professional. Okay. <laughs> What is the scariest part of COVID-19 for you as a person with multiple sclerosis, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, fibro, uh, the other one that you said that I can't remember, um, narcolepsy, what, all the host of disabilities you have, what scares you about if you were to contract COVID? And so people understand why the fuck they should stay home. What do you think would happen to your body if you got COVID? Oh, my gosh. Um... I mean, like extremely, extremely high chance that I would die. Um, extremely high. Um, in fact, um, I've I've even had doctors tell me that. Um, so during COVID, they told you. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like well, I mean. Yeah, we've had conversations about it because, like, if I were to if I were to go outside, if I were to keep doing things, like, 
and even even at home. So here's another thing, particularly with, um, you know, and this 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 goes for many of us, you too, Andrew. Is that like, is that any type of stress level? Because the thing is, like, there's a whole other side of disability, right? Where we've got like our physical concerns, and then like, um, you know, our emotionality. Emotionality, which, you know, like we can't really separate out the mental, the physical at this moment because each one is affecting the other. And yeah. the stress makes the immune system go down. So it's like you're constantly having to face it and face it and face it. Um, I, you know, like the, the so the real, the, the reality is that my immune system isn't strong enough to to take care of anything really. Um, and that, that comes my way without additional support. Um, and, um, so what would happen to me? Um, that would depend on how many people, um, how many people had access. I mean, I don't know that it would even be safe for me to go to the hospital, like for me to go to a hospital here where I am, and I do not say this, and I'm, but please do not, um, do not do as, as I am saying, um, wherever you are, if you have a concern, please, please, please call, um, you know, do make calls to your doctor. And so this is something that I'm saying, having spoken to my doctors, um, who I am in very close touch with, um, and fortunate to do because I live in a small community, which is, is a good thing and a bad thing, because the good thing is I can actually talk to my doctors. The bad thing is there's only one room in my hospital that has negative pressure. And that is a concern for me. Um, negative but, pressure being like, what is that? Um, so, so ideally, like if you have a very delicate immune system during COVID, you should be, you should be in a room where the, so negative pressure would remove the um, would remove other germs in the room. So that you could heal without being infected by other other people's germs, um, and so I think f you know f for for me it would be like, can I even get to the hospital? When I get to the hospital, what will happen to me? And will they even have space for me? Yeah, and so many other disabled people have said this to me, and I've said I'm afraid if I go there, I'm, they're not. I'm going to be the last person they save, the last <laughs> person they think about, the last person they consider. Like I really think that much like how we have COVID units right now in a lot of hospitals. And mm -hmm. I know people that work in some of those units. We mm -hmm. also need to have fucking cripple units or not. Don't call them cripple units, but call them like disability centric units in the hospital that are just for the complexly disabled. Like, yes. can we not have a CD unit, which is like complexly disabled unit? Why don't we, why the fuck do we have a CDU in hospitals mm -hmm. already outside of pandemic times for mm -hmm complexly disabled individuals who need different supports than just sit over there and wait yes uh oh that's a my anger about the hospital and that is hospital administration was like bubbling over sorry sorry <laughs> well no i mean that's a that's actually a really really good point and you know i mean at the very least could we have um you know maybe like a triage nurse who is trained to recognize some of the complexities of being complexly disabled um and that's that that would be that would be pretty great because um the com the ways that you get that you can be responded to without that training. And if you want that training, and if you're a hospital, please contact me and Andrew. And we will we will talk and pay us handsomely for our consultation. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, 
but it, it, but you know, seriously, I think that um, you know. And then on the other hand, you know, I mean, have like. I have a number of friends who are doctors right now and who did not, or who were doctors. Um, um, my very, very best friend's um, brother um, was finishing, <laughs> was finishing his residency, his psych residency in New York and ended up one day just being told next day that he'd be in the ER and his wife was pregnant. And it's not something that, um, that was a part of his world or his experience. And, and I've, I've seen at least in places that have been, um, you know, where the hospitals have had very little space that they've been, they've needed to pull in doctors who might not have any training in working in ERs. And, and I, I really have to say that I feel for their mental health and, oh, yeah and their trauma which i you know it's one thing to lift someone up as a hero but you know i, I feel like the word hero is a very dangerous encapsulated word that doesn't actually give that first of all we're calling them a hero are we paying them more no are we supporting them more no are we providing them free mental health supports during all this no are we like fuck don't don't call me a hero pay me like a hero <laughs> oh yeah it's so funny because um, you, no, no one can see it, but um, I have a little service dog, Lucy, who always, um, she actually, she, she does, she works in therapy with me even when I'm online. And if she hears me getting riled up about something, she will get up and like look around for it so she can take care of it. And that's what she's doing right now. She's standing up, she's on top of the unicorn onesie and she's looking proud and protective so she saw that you she saw that you were like ready to fight um no i just think that the, the way we have commodified the word hero and made it something to put in our pop culture zeitgeist makes me upset because it's like no these people deserve more than that they deserve yeah. more than your platitudes and if you're gonna call them a hero you better fucking pay them like they are a hero and you better provide them the, the mental health supports much like how much like what wasn't done and what should have been done during 9-11 when all those first responders were going through that stuff, like what they were, many of them died without supports. So this is a chance for, and I'm going off on tangents. I don't fucking care. It's my show. You can stop listening if you want to. Um, but, you know, this is a chance for us to not right those wrongs, but do something differently. This is a worldwide pandemic. Pay people more, pay the frontline people more, but also, you know, and I, I'm having someone come on the show in a few weeks who used to work in ERs as a nurse, who used to work in hospitals as a nurse. And I'm going to talk to her about her experiences on the quarantine and show, which I'm super excited about. Hi, Ryan. I love you. Um, so she, we're gonna, I'm going to talk with her. But I want to ask you, Kate, do you think that a pandemic is a time for hospitals to consider, uh, to consider having... <laughs> <laughs> teams of gimps running around saving the day like do you think they need to have no but seriously do you think they need to have like teams of i talked about complexly disabled units like cdus do they need a team of like disabled people right now um yeah well as long as it would be safe for them to do that um yes up um i think absolutely there's a need to Whenever you're about to, um, what's the name of my podcast? Uh, like something about the the spaces in between. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, like, if you are going into the, so if you're boldly going where no human has gone into these spaces in between, um, you need to include people from this culture yeah. that 
you know, and so I would say absolutely. And there are so many ways that disabled people can be included from home, even at the hospital. I can zoom in with you as a consultant at home and you can pay me hospital salaries to be consult with somebody. Like it is possible. And I think right now, I've said it before on these episodes, I'll say it again. We are the fucking experts. Please listen to us. Yeah. And and um so here's something really important important to know about that's going on um, on the mental health side in hospitals. Um, actually, right now in California, where I live, uh, there's actually a, um, I, and I'm not sure what's happening with it today, but as of a couple weeks ago, they were trying to take substance use um, uh, navigators out of the ERs which we've had, so a substance use navigator is someone if, you know, someone presents with substance use, it, that is someone who will kind of like be your guide through to getting, um, not just getting, Supports. yeah, like any, and every type possible um, to get what you need and, and to work with your family. And, um, you know, and, and on top of that, um, we don't have, we have some social workers in hospitals here, but, um, but they, we don't have a lot of counselors. Um, counselors um, need to, to get paid slightly more, and that's partial part of it. Um, part of it is an insurance thing, but you know, we we need to have trained professionals um, who can who are trained to speak to and listen to and sit with us through the complexities of the disabled life. Yep, the disabled life like that, like, like and I think. I bring it back to this word complex. I think hmm? I hate disability hierarchy, but I think the word complexly disabled needs to become part of our lexicon mm. because being disabled doesn't just mean one thing. It means a multitude of things. And many of them are complex. And when we think of disabled, we think of someone who is per- paralyzed. We think of somebody who, who has one thing that makes them disabled and nothing else. Guess what? That's not true. Mm-hmm. Being complexly disabled and calling it that in both disability studies circles and medical fields would tell a practitioner or a person dealing with a complexly disabled individual, you have to look at this deeper than just one thing. Yeah. And that is, that is so, so very true. Um, And, you know, there, fortunately there's starting to be a teeny tiny bit of like research that's being done on, um, the representation of disabled people, either in you know counseling or in the medical field, and also what the perceptions are of disabled people, and um, that's something you know that that is revealing the need for some extra training, right? Because like if you have your whole professional career is geared towards like identifying, um, you know, identifying something that needs fixing. You know, like that's the, that is orienting you a certain way, and so maybe you won't see all the complexities. You can't if you're if if your blinders are on, for lack of a better, maybe ablest word, blinders are on, then maybe you wouldn't notice certain things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Bringing it back around to what the questions I wrote down are, because I don't even know what the fuck we are. But uh, so <laughs> my next question for you, Kate Wolofsky, my good good friend, is if you were to talk into the mic right now and give a piece of advice to other disabled people going through this right now with you, what is some things you might want to say to them? Mm. Um, I, the first thing that 
comes to mind is from the bottom of my heart, I love you. Um, I, I really do. Um, I, I, um, and, and, and I, I, I mean, I mean that in the sense that I, I, I love you and feel empathy for what you are going through for, um, I can never know what it is for each and every one of us um, to experience anything, but there's definitely some common experiences and you are not, um, you don't need to be alone. Um, and, you know, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's reaching out to Andrew, to me, uh, finding a way to connect to either, um, you know, people who can be supportive or finding, finding a platform, um, you know, to a way of expressing your voice, something that, um, something that can be meaningful for you is so important. Um, and, you know, if you, if, if you're further away and need some support, I will always, um, I, I will always seek to amplify voices like yours. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. That's so great. And that's so needed. Also, if you, my thing that I would say to that question is if you're disabled and you're going through this right now and you're having a hard time, you don't need to be okay. It's okay to not be all right right now. That is that is so true, and I actually that's funny. I have a book on my bookshelf that I always have out of my office, and uh, I have like of course the the um, the old um, "I'm okay, you're okay," which was a gift like a gift from someone. It's like a, an old book about just like being okay with um, you know uncomfortable emotions. And but my favorite part is that I have a, a book on grief, which is next to it called "It's Okay, You're Not Okay." And, you know, I think that that is such an important point because right now we've become so used to avoiding pain of all kinds. Like, you know, we don't, like, we don't want to have fear. We don't want to have anxiety. If you have pain, it should always be taken care of. And we're not, um, we've started to um, be so concerned about having those feelings. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> my, my service dog is alerting me <laughs> this whole idea. <laughs> Pardon me. I, I I need I need to um I need to I need to attend to her. Hang on, come here. Thanks. Um, what was she alerting you to? Oh, it's funny. Um, she's alerting you to like I'm get I'm getting I'm getting hot. I'm getting hot and bothered, Andrew. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm bothered. Let me just turn up the air conditioning. Hang on, just a second, okay? I'll be right back. Sure. Welcome to MS World. Uh, what I particularly loved about that, like, silence is that I didn't cut it out because I was like, you know what? I think people hearing somebody get their access needs cared for on a podcast like this is, like, really important. So, <laughs> And I'm also whew, out of breath. <laughs> the, joy, the joy of MS walking over to your air conditioner wins you out for, like, the next hour. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, and I actually, I love how you don't do that on other episodes, too. Um, <laughs> you're, 
when I think about how many times, like if I'm like at a con like at a virtual conference now, or you know that I often have to like turn off my screen to go <laughs> to go and do something silly, or like if like you know with my EDS, my stretching looks like I'm doing the Kama Sutra, so <laughs> so like I can't be like anything, like scratching my head with my toes or something like that in the middle of the conference just because it feels good. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, it, it's it's incredible the even just the level of explanation that would have to go into me saying to someone oh yeah my service dog is telling me that the air, that i'm overheating which for me is not a it's uh Dangerous. I, yeah like a temperature dysmorphia where i think like a room like normal room temperature normal feels like a sauna to me and so i should go in like alert park next to where the uh the <laughs> <laughs> so she did that's so cute oh i like that at first she was trying to like tell me while she was with me and you know usually she tries to yeah, like because i saw her i saw her stand up and like like look she was licking you and she was trying to like gently say like hey do something about this fix it fix it and so i got annoying which is why she did that <laughs> <laughs> i call her my personal my personal symptom police dog amazing amazing um that's great uh the next part of that question is what advice would you give to non-disabled people going through this for the very first time and who maybe have never experienced pandemic stuff and like we said what would you say to the chads and beckys and all those people who in the nicest way without like shaming them for feeling the way they're feeling but just explaining to them hey this is your first time going through this what disability expertise would you offer them that they may not have thought about that you couldn't say like do try this you'll feel better um okay well i would say hi chad hi becky um i um, I would actually start with what you said um to disabled people which is like hey like it's okay that you're not okay and um i i often say like when when someone when someone is not feeling okay and they're like in that exact position, I will say something like, well, you know, um, it's a good thing that you know me because um, I've been to this wild new world. Um, I know what this planet looks like <laughs> as a disabled person. Um, and I'm, I can like, I'm like a field guide to this new universe. And I would say the same thing, um, you know, for... I'm like Jordi LaForge and Captain Picard on a way mission to disability. And so, yeah, <laughs> pandemic for you, for all y'all, is like, a, is like an away mission to a new universe. Yes. You're both going where we've all fucking been before, but we will be there for you to guide you through. Yeah, and so I would say, you know what, like, like reach out and reach out and don't touch someone. Uh, <laughs> reach out and socially distance from somebody, would you? I would say physically distance, stay socially close. Socially reach out to the disabled people um, in your life, um, disabled people you don't know. And, you know, if you're like, if you're newly struggling with not being able to breathe, you know, click connect to well for, listen if that if you're if you're struggling with that maybe connect with your local health provider first and double check that you i mean thank you uh thank you it's like i'm this is not professional me this is yeah like first of all to do what kate if you're struggling with breathing 
please call your local health department and get please get a test but but if you're if after being after going through therapy um and or guys that go through um um therapy after going to the hospital see i'm just i'm just able to that went into my um that went in, what did you call those the and uh, you call them lesion moments because <laughs> in my brain and so Andrew will call them lesion moments if I forget something. It's true. It's true. So, but, but, um, you know, there's also, there's a lot of people who still have like left over after having, you know, quote unquote recovered their home and things are not the way they remembered them being before they got COVID. And it's confusing because they're supposed to be quote unquote recovered. Yeah. And so I would say like, just, you know, you, you don't, um, it's okay, you're not okay, you don't have to be alone, and, you know, seek, like, reach, re, reach, out, reach out and find the people who have been there before, and, you know, make some new, make some new friends. <laughs> and, and talk about the fear, talk about the discomfort. I think yes. we've been so pummeled into us with all these hashtags, of, like, together alone, apart together, like, all that bullshit, okay, fine, that's nice. That's a very nice branding opportunity for people. But if you need to talk about the real stuff, the real, the stuff that you're afraid of, your death, your own mortality, like your fears around that, what life will be like if you have a chronic illness post-COVID or, <laughs> or if you develop anxiety because of all this or all, if something comes up that is disabling you that you're not ready for, guess what? There's a team of humans called disabled people out there in the world that know how to guide you. And yeah if you would just reach out to them and be honest and say, look, maybe I've done some ableist shit in the past, but I'm scared. And I know you've been, you experienced something similar. Can we talk about this, please? Mm. Start there. What you just said, like, I'm scared. And the thing is like the, the thing is the fear and the fear of the unknown. Um, and, you know, as humans, we're all craving safety. We're just craving safety. We, you know, we, rely on connection to others we're like herd animals we rely on each other somehow to like get through this and if you're disabled you really rely on each other um but but what i what i'd say is that like um yeah being oh being okay with saying i don't feel safe and having that be fine one of the things that i see happening so much right now is the positive and negative oh that's positive or the yeah. negative thinking and um we need to you know, we kind of just need to like all take a little breath a little bit. And if you can, and again, if you can, you might have COVID. Go get tested, please. Yes, yes, exactly. And, um, but just, or just like take a moment of pause, just a moment to pause. Um, even if it's just a half a and second. And if you have a service dog, it can be a moment of pause, P A W S, <laughs> which takes uh, a whole minute. Uh, <laughs> 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 and involves heavy breathing. Um, but uh, it's, I think, instead of um, qualifying and judging the feelings, um, let's just allow some of the feelings to be and, um, and look at when we're making a judgment about something. Yeah, I agree with that. On that tangential note, because we've gone off on so many tangents in this episode, I loved it so much, but I don't even know how the fuck I'm going to put this together. Uh, on that note, Kate Wolofsky, you're one of my favorite people. Thank you so uh, much for sitting down with me today. 
I love you so much, Andrew. Um, I will like, I will in, remain sitting down with you and curled up in the unicorn onesie every, every day and any day. Um, and thank you for the disabled queer cripple human that you are. I love you. This is, I love you so much too. And this is so much fun. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to edit this together, but I cannot wait. Um, I know how you're going to do it because the truth is, is that these are like, sometimes we just need to hear people having a conversation like this. And we need to know that people are still chat like this. It's true. If you want to listen to us and take one of your disability naps, that's what you can use this episode for. If you want to listen to us and have a laugh and hear what we're saying, great. Whatever you need this episode for, it's here for you because I'm going to have a nap after this. I recorded two today. I'm fucking dead. So having a nap right now. <laughs> Amazing. Right. I, I love you, Andrew. And, um, and thank you, everyone, for listening and just yeah, be, being, being a part of even hearing this. And we're there for you, whatever you need. We are there for you. Okay, well, I'll see you before you disappear into your nap. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? You've, you've mentioned a couple times reach out just so they know how to do that one more time. How do they do that? Well, um, let's see. So we have a website, disabledduo.com. Um, you can uh, reach out to me by email if you like, kate at disabledduo.com. And on many of the um, social media things, um, the Twitter sphere, the um, Instagram world, and um, we are at Disabled Duo. And on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash disabledduo. Um, and uh, we'll likely be... Uh, be doing more on social media things uh more physically present but you can always reach us there um even if you don't see a regular posting we just need uh we need some more support <laughs> so we support, yeah so everybody listening to my show and i know there are i know there are at least 2500 people a week that listen to the show so it's not huge but it's a nice community number so if that community wants to follow Kate, go and pause this right now or stop it right now because we're basically done stop it right now and go to disabledduo.com and give it give it some love (laughs) (laughs) all right friends this has been quarantine and chill episode i don't fucking know when this will come out but it's gonna come out soon enough but thank you so much for listening and and i love kate for being here and we're gonna talk now off the air because kate's my buddy and so that's what we're gonna do but um (laughs) thanks friends talk to you soon bye bye All right. Well, there you have it. There's another episode of Quarantine and Chill. I love sitting down with Kate and just having a laugh and also diving into the deeper parts of what it means to be going through the pandemic as a disabled person and also as somebody who works in therapy as a disabled person to understand what's going on. There was a whole lot to unpack in this one. We had a good time. We had some giggles, too. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to do more of these episodes. And so if you want to come on to Quarantine and Chill again, Email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com with the subject line, Quarantine and Chill. Tell me a little bit about your experience as a disabled person or chronically ill person during the pandemic, and I'd love to book you in. Thanks for listening to this next Quarantine and Chill, and we will be back soon with our regular Thursday edition episodes. A new Handycast is coming up soon. Um, We got things coming on the pike, and I'm excited for it. So thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. 
Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020